Awesome. Um, so last um, last Sunday, if you were here, um, Stuart brought a, a fantastic teaching on the importance of meeting together. And um, that's something I just want to continue um, this morning uh, for, for a little bit together. Um, it's something that's uh, was a foundational principle of the early church. We know in Acts 2, uh, 42, it says that the early church devoted themselves uh, to prayer, uh, to communion, to the breaking of bread, to the teaching of the apostles, and to fellowship. Can everyone say fellowship? Uh, you know, we've had, what, 15 months uh, of, of socially distanced uh, lives and uh, lives where we've uh, been encouraged to isolate and keep our distance. And, um, of course, you know, we can't pretend that it's been an easy time. It's been a really difficult time. But I guess one of the benefits, if there has been any benefits, is that it's been a real encouragement to focus on our individual relationship with the Lord particularly in those months when, when we didn't have any public services, it was an opportunity, just get alone with God in your own home, study the word, worship, pray in your house. And um, uh, it's been a real time of focusing on our vertical relationship with God. But I really feel that as we come out of lockdown, this is going to be a really important moment of the next few weeks and months to focus on our horizontal relationships with each other. Who knows that it's an eternal principle laid down in Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. Who knows that we need each other? Yeah, I need you and you need me. And the book of Hebrews tells us, doesn't it? Do not forsake meeting together as brothers and sisters. Um, and it says even more so as the day approaches, uh, referring to um, the return of Jesus. Now, who knows that when, uh, when Hebrews was written, who knows that the Holy Spirit knew what was coming. Yeah, the Holy Spirit knew uh, that the, there would be pandemics and that there would be viruses and that there would be difficulties. In fact, the Bible tells us the closer we get to the return of Jesus, there's going to be more of this stuff. The whole world is groaning. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. But the answer, according to the Bible, is not just go and hide in a corner somewhere and pretend like no one else exists. No, the answer is fellowship. The answer is gather together as the body of Christ. Um, one of the, the passages of scripture that I find really interesting, uh, you know the story in the Gospels of the man that was possessed by the legion of demons? You all know that story? I find it really interesting because it gives us some insights into how the enemy works and how the enemy wants to keep people in bondage. And there's a really interesting line where it says that this man was often led by the demons into solitary places. Find that so interesting that the devil wants us in isolation. That the Holy Spirit wants us in community. The Holy Spirit wants us in family. The Holy Spirit wants us as part of a body. But the enemy will always try and leave us isolated. The, the enemy will always try and cause us to be separated from our brothers and sisters in the family of God. 
I know there are times when the Holy Spirit might lead us to those times when we get alone with Father God. We know that Jesus himself had those moments when it was just him and the Father. But as a general principle, the Holy Spirit wants us in community. But it's the enemy that leads us into isolation. We're all familiar with the story. In fact, I, I preached on it a couple of weeks ago. Um, Ezekiel, is it 37? Um, the, the valley of the dry bones. And what a powerful scripture that is. The, the bones that were dry. And Ezekiel begins to prophesy. And uh, flesh comes on the bones. And then he prophesies again. And breath comes and enters them. And they rise up a mighty army. And it's a powerful picture of revival. It's a powerful Powerful picture of how God wants his church to come to life, how his, God wants his church to be full of the Holy Spirit, how his church want, God wants his church to be this mighty army that's storming the gates of hell. We can all say amen to that, right? But before any of that, it says there was a rattling sound. And what then? The bones came together, bone to bone. How many times in church do we, you, we talk about the flesh, which for me would be like the church structure, how church should run, when we should meet, what we should sing, what, we should, what ministries we should be having, all that kind of stuff. Or, or we focus on the breath, we focus on the presence and the Holy Spirit and the anointing and the power. But before any of that can take place, the bones have got to come together. There's got to be that assembly. There's got to be that connection. There's got to be that flesh and blood uh, meeting together. Um, it's what, what it was in Acts 2, right? That they were all together in one place. Now, it's one thing to be in one place. But who knows? It's another thing to be all together in one place. But when you are together in one place... Suddenly, you are a candidate for the Holy Spirit to come. I wonder how many of the hundreds of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection um, didn't turn up that day. For whatever reason, we know that there were only 120 there. We know he appeared to many more than that. But it is the ones that assembled, it was the ones that were connected that receive the fire of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19, the apostle Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, everyone say, in him. Who knows that uh, the thing that unites us and the thing that we have in common this morning is him. Yeah, Who know, pro naturally, many of us probably wouldn't have anything in common. But he is the one that unites us. 
We, ha- we carry his DNA. We have his spirit, his name. Uh, we have been saved and we are part of the family of God. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, there's that phrase again, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is exciting. Who knows that Jesus is building something? The Bible tells us that each one of us together are being built into a temple that God is filling with his spirit. You know, each person here this morning and each person in our other locations this morning, each one of us is a brick, a living stone. Now, who knows that a brick on its own is pretty useless? Yeah? Uh, You know, if someone came up to you and said, here's a brick... Uh, you'd be like, well, thank you very much, but I'm not particularly sure what I'm going to do with this. One brick on its own is useless. It's worthless. But who knows that when you put bricks together, you can build something. And Jesus is building something. He's using all these living stones and, uh, you know, all different shapes and sizes. Uh, some, of our, uh, some, of, some of Jesus' living stones might be a little bit wonky. Some, some of Jesus' living stones might have a few chips and a few cracks in along the way. But together, Jesus is building something awesome. He is building a temple that he wants to fill with his glory. Jesus is the master builder. And together, Jesus is building his church. But what Jesus is building, who knows, Jesus is not building just church buildings. Yeah? Jesus is not building denominations. Jesus is not building just church services. Jesus is building a community of people with his glory right in the midst. And so my choice and your choice this morning is this. Do I want to be part of what Jesus is building? Many times, you know, we talk in our language like, um, what is the plan of God for my life? Or what is the purpose of God for my life? Or we talk about things and we talk about my ministry. Or we talk about God blessing what I'm doing. But you know the New Testament talks very little about that. The New Testament doesn't really talk about the purpose that God has for you. The New Testament talks about the purpose of Jesus. The New Testament talks about the plans of Jesus. The New Testament talks about the ministry of Jesus. The New Testament, you know that the apostles weren't sat around talking among each other. Oh, Peter, what, 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 what is your ministry? Paul, what is your ministry? No, the only thing they were concerned about was the ministry of Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is building a temple that he wants to put his glory in the midst of. And my choice and your choice is this. Do I want to be part of what Jesus is doing? Am I praying, Jesus, bless what I'm doing? Or am I saying, Jesus, I want to be part of what you're doing? 
Am I, am I wondering what is the plan or the purpose that God has for my life? Or am I wondering what is the plan and the purpose that Jesus is doing on the earth right now? Because I want to be part of that. I want to be part of this community that you are building with your glory right in the center. Amen. And it says here, you are being built together. And in verse 22, in verse 21, it says you are being joined together. It's all about connection. Yes, our connection with him, but also our connection with each other. Joined together, built together. Now, in, the, um, in the, the, the Greek words that it's using there, it means this. It means being bonded or welded together. That sounds pretty intense. Anyone else? You are being bonded together. You are being welded together into a temple that he wants to fill with his glory. This sounds to me a little bit deeper than just turning up to church for an hour on a Sunday morning. This sounds a little bit deeper than just having my name on a church membership database somewhere. This sounds to me a little bit deeper than just paying my tithes. This sounds a little bit deeper than just helping out on a rota once a month. Being bonded, being welded together. It's the language of covenant. And my mind immediately went to David and Jonathan. Two men who entered into a covenant of friendship with each other. Again, that's pretty intense, isn't it? It's not, oh, you know, I'll add you on a, a, a friend on Facebook. But block you if you say something, you know, I don't like. <laughs> no, it's, I'm entering into a covenant of friendship with you. David and Jonathan entered into a covenant, uh, listen to this, to show each other unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. Wow, imagine, I want you to dream a little bit this morning. Imagine as a church community, we each made a covenant with each other that we were going to show each other as much kindness as the Lord had shown to us. What would that look like? It was a covenant to honor each other, to protect each other, to serve each other, and to speak well of each other. I mean, that would be a good one to start with, wouldn't it? I covenant to always speak well of you. Not just to your face, but to other people as well. And it says that David and Jonathan became one in spirit. Another great example is the story of Ruth and Naomi. I'm sure we're all familiar with that story that um, Naomi has two daughters-in-law. 
and her sons die, her husband dies, and she's left alone with just her and her two daughters-in-law, uh, both Moabites. Uh, uh, Naomi is a Jew, and, uh, and Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And her daughters-in-law said, well, we'll come with you. And Naomi says, don't be silly. She says, I've got nothing. She says, you know, I don't have another son that you can marry. In fact, I have nothing to give. She said, I came full, but I'm going home empty. It will be more beneficial for you two to go back to your own people, find a new husband to marry, and just live your life and forget about me. And when um, Orpah hears this, she kind of says, adios, and off she goes. And Ruth makes that famous statement. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow. Ruth was saying to Naomi, Naomi, I'm not going to leave you because, uh, because it's more convenient for me to leave. I'm going to stick with you, even though it's inconvenient. I'm not in this relationship for anything I can get out of it. I'm here because the Lord has welded us together. And I'm sticking with you. Can you imagine if each one of us had that kind of attitude to the family of God? That we had that attitude that said, you know what, I'm not here to receive. I'm here to give. I'm not here to be blessed. I'm here to be a blessing. And you know, it's, it's always sad when you say goodbye to people, isn't it? But I love it when we have those moments when we can pray for people and we can say, you know what? We're launching you, we're releasing you into the next stage of your relationship with God. That's exciting, isn't it? But you know what's less exciting? is when people get offended, people get upset, people walk away because their hearts have, have become bitter. And I just love this attitude of Naomi, uh, to, sorry, Ruth to Naomi, that we're family and we're sticking together no matter what. You know, the, the, the name Ruth, it, it just means friend. Anyone think we just need some more Ruths in the church? We don't necessarily need more preachers or worship leaders or, you know, any of that. Although the odd millionaire might be quite nice. But we just need some friends. We just need some Ruths. And what I love is, um, you know when uh, Boaz comes along and Boaz ends up uh, marrying Ruth and... The field that Ruth worked in, she ended up owning as the wife of Boaz. Who knows that's favor? But you know what Boaz said to Ruth? He said, when I heard about how you treated your mother-in-law, 
I wanted to find out a little bit more about you. Could it be that the way we treat each other gets the attention of the Redeemer? Could it be that favor comes to our lives by our heavenly bridegroom because of how he sees and hears how we treat the people that we're in relationship with? It's what happened to a guy in the New Testament called Cornelius. You remember an angel turned up at Cornelius' house? Cornelius, the first uh, Gentile uh, household to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the angel turns up and says, this is my paraphrase, Cornelius, your house has come to the attention of heaven and you you are now primed for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your home. Anyone else up for that? But the angel said this, What's come to the attention of heaven, God has seen your prayers and your gifts to the poor. In other words, what's got the attention of heaven is your prayer life and how you've treated other people. Wow. Challenge, isn't it? You know, um, we've had to get used to a lot of... uh, rules haven't we over the past 15 months or so can anyone else keep in track with all the rules no I I have I've lost I've lost it now I just can't I can't I don't know what stage we're at or what what I'm meant to be doing or anything um you know it's probably a little bit like what they were like in the Old Testament you know in the Old Testament some theologians have worked out and I can't I can't I can't say I've counted but some theologians have said there were 613 laws in the Old Testament imagine obeying all of those imagine remembering all of those 613 laws. So what God did to be really nice to the children of Israel was he took the 613 laws and he summed them up in 10, which we know as the 10 commandments. But even 10 commandments was a little bit tricky. So they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, um, out of all the commandments, which is the greatest? They they weren't saying which is the most important because they're all important. They were saying, Jesus, if you could sum up all the laws in one, what would it be? And Jesus didn't sum them up in one. He summed them up in two, which was what? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and Love your neighbor as yourself. So the 613 commandments, just follow this through with me for a moment. 613 commandments. God takes the 613 and he sums them up in 10. Jesus takes the 10 and he sums them up in two. Love God and love people. But then along comes the apostle Paul and he takes the two and he sums them up in one. Which was the one? Galatians 5, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says it again in Romans 13. Um, 
Let me find that. Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not cover. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. 613 commands summed up in 10. Jesus takes the 10, sums them up in two. Love God, love people. Paul comes and says, if you want to sum up those two in one, it's in this. Love your neighbor. Why does Paul say that one and not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? Well, John explains later on, he says, if you claim to love God, but don't love your brother, you're actually still in darkness. Because how can you love the claim to love the God that you can't see when you can't love the people that you can see? How can you claim to love the God in heaven if you can't love your neighbor who's right next door? How can you claim to love the creator and not love the ones created in his image? Jesus said the world will look at us and we will be known not for the size of our gatherings, not for our miracle signs and wonders, not for how passionate we are when we sing. He said the world will know that you belong to me because of your love. James describes it as the royal law. In other words, it's the law of the kingdom. Wherever there is love, there is the kingdom. If you, we want to live like heaven on earth, we love. Because that's when heaven is. That's where the kingdom is. Um, let, let me uh, wrap this up in, in just a, a few moments. Heidi Baker makes an incredibly challenging statement. And it's this. Love looks like something. Think about that for a moment. Love looks like something. So my challenge to us this morning is this. What does love look like in our church community? What does love look like in my life? Again, uh, it's in the book of James, isn't it? Where James says, look, it's no good just saying, God bless you or I love you and then walking away and leaving the person that's in need. No, love has to look like something. And in the New Testament, love looks like forgiveness. Love looks like grace. Love looks like honor. It, loves, it looks like washing feet. It looks like serving. It looks like going the extra mile. It looks like kissing the prodigals. Love looks like throwing mercy and not stones. Love looks like being there. 
Love looks like hospitality, not realizing that we are hosting angels unawares. Love looks like the meal table. Love looks like giving. Love looks like saying you'll pray for someone and really doing it. Love looks like considering others before self. Love looks like your success is my success. Love looks like your burden is my burden. What does love look like or what should love look like? And I want to close with uh, this passage of scripture. Ephesians um, chapter 4. Verse um, 16 Well, let let me quickly just read the whole thing. Um, It was some uh, Jesus gave to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then it says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him that is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds its up in love as each part does its work. Who knows Jesus wants his church to grow? Yeah, Jesus is into church growth. Um, he's into the church growing numerically and of course he's into the church growing spiritually. And I don't know about you, but I'm praying that over, I know it's still going to be a little bit rocky over the next few weeks and months, but I'm believing as Revived Church, we are going to come out in the next few months and years bigger and better and stronger and deeper and more powerful than ever before. Can you say amen? But how does the church grow? And let me, let me wrap all this up in just two minutes. The church does not grow, according to the Apostle Paul, by having great Sunday meetings. The church does not grow by great preaching. The church does not even grow by prayer or evangelism, although all those things are important. The church does not grow by having signs and wonders in the midst, although we want to see that. According to Paul, the church grows as each part does its work. In other words, the emphasis on church growth is not on, you know, what, what cool services the pastor can come up with. It's on each one of us doing the work. Well, what work? Speaking the truth in love and building each other up in love. In other words, Paul is saying this. If, if, the, if a church wants to grow, speak the truth. Now that doesn't mean the truth, so it doesn't mean covering up sin or watering down the the gospel. Speak the truth, but just do it in love. Speak words of love to each other and then build each other up in love. In other words, actually physically do stuff. Get involved, show each other love, serve one another, uh, be involved in the work of the ministry. Do it all out of a place of love. Acts of love and words of love is how you grow a church. And the job of the ministry, it says there, is to prepare God's people for works of service. And that word service, it's the the word uh, diakoni, it's where we get deacon from. And it means this, a service of love shown to someone else. In other words, the, the, the maturity that God is looking for is that we will get to that place where we are serving each other in love. 
That's how you grow a church. So our, our challenge today is do we want to be a part of that or not?